Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shrine Road to Gath and Ekron. Morning, everybody. Uh, I know this is a familiar story today, but I'm so excited for today, and I can't wait to dig in. Before we jump in, I want to remind you that this is a completely immersive uh, holistic study. We have books, if you don't have them, that go along with, the, uh, with our sermons, and the uh, readings follow the sermons. Those are for sale for 10 bucks in the back. Uh, you can get daily video devotionals uh, every morning if you text in uh, all that to the back table, and um, a video devo for three minutes will come into your um, into your inbox or your text box, and um, we want you in groups as well. Uh, this is eight churches are coming together around the Bay Area doing the same study. Right before I got up, I saw a text message of the pastors going, let's go for it today. It's cool how God's bringing churches together. On that note, uh, we're trying something unprecedented. Peninsula Bible Church, Central Peninsula Church, Peninsula Covenant Church, are coming together to fill the fox for an immersive worship experience tonight at six. You heard about that uh, in the family news. I wanna encourage you to come. It might be a little loud, uh, but don't let that turn you off. We want at the core and heart of our city, the worship of God to go out and three churches are coming together as one church, six o'clock tonight, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it was sung the truth of it. It is a light. It is a lamp. It is a weapon, Lord, the sword of the Spirit. And God, as we open it, we know we're not just opening uh, any other book. We're not opening our homepage. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to be fed. And you are the giver of bread. So we look to you for manna today because I believe every one of us is in a battle, a battle worth fighting for. We give ourselves to such secondary battles. But I pray today you would give us encouragement, grace, and hope 
as we leave this building, communing with you, communing and digging into your word, fellowshipping with each other, change. I believe your Holy Spirit can do that. We're looking for that. We want that. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Everyone said? All right. Well, you know, some battles are worth fighting for. As I think through my week, uh, the reality is what I get to do is fight good fights. Uh, I remember uh, being up here Sunday, last Sunday, and praying with people. And really what that is, is jumping into a battle and fighting with people for character or health issues or relationship issues. Things that are beyond them that they feel like this is like a battle. Uh, Monday night, I was down on the streets of Redwood City with our street life ministry. And uh, before I was getting up to teach, um, I hung out with a new guy. He'd just come. He was young. His name was Ephraim. And um, uh, as we were sitting down, I'm like, where are you from? He's from San Francisco. And I'm like, well, tell me about your life. And he's like, I'm just hoping to survive one day at a time. It was so sad to me. And so we were talking about that. And I said, well, can we pray? And, and together, really, we were fighting for hope, fighting for hope. Then Thursday morning, I met with a young man in our church who uh, has teenagers. And it's a whole new world for him uh, as a parent. Great godly man, uh, he and his wife. But uh, this adolescent thing is crazy. It's crazy. And uh, what happened at Pete's when we were meeting is that became a battleground. And we bowed our head and prayed and fought in prayer on behalf of our collective eight daughters between us. Life is a battle. And some battles are worth fighting for. All that brings us into 1 Samuel 17. Your Bibles are important. Keep them open to page 285 and this story of David and Goliath. And I want to warn you, some sermons on David and Goliath actually can be depressing. <laughs> Uh, because they go something like this, you know, what is the Goliath in your life? Go out and slay your giant. And we leave here like, like I put rocks on you. And you leave here burden going, if I could slay my giant, I would have. Uh, what in the world? Give me something that gives me hope. Tragically, what's missing from most of those sermons? Jesus. Jesus is missing. I want just to put it out there. Where we're going in this message, listen to me. You and I aren't David in this story. We're not. We're Saul. We're Israel. Uh, we are uh, in a battlefield cowering on a hill before enemies that really are defying the living God, before circumstances that betray what we know of God. We sing of a great God and we worship a great God on Sunday, but Monday through Friday, we're paralyzed almost faithless, like Israel was, like Saul was. The problem with Israel and Saul was not their theology, my friends. It was not their biblical knowledge. They knew of the God of the Bible. Their problem was putting their belief into action. So we aren't David, hear me. We need a David to fight for us. And the good news is Jesus is our David. Uh, the parallel in this is uncanny, intentional. It's such a vivid picture of the gospel, the good news. David is God's anointed. We read that and spoke about that last week. Anointed, you know what it means in Hebrew? Messiah. He is the Messiah going out seemingly vulnerable and weak on the battlefield as a young man. A sacrificial lamb, if you will, 
on behalf of Israel, where an enemy is presenting himself, we're going to read about it, 40 days and 40 nights, taunting the living God. And David crushes the enemy's head. If we had an hour, I would unpack this so deeply for you. In Hebrew, the armor that Goliath wore was called snake armor. And so David goes and crushes the enemy's head, becomes Israel's champion redeemer, and the people benefit from David's victory and rush into the battle after the victory is won. Now, does that sound like any story you know of? Come on, church. If you're familiar with uh, the story of Jesus, and if you're not, I've got great news for you. In the gospel, Jesus is baptized at 30 years old, and heaven opens and God declares him as the anointed one, Messiah. Then he goes out into the wilderness where a serpent presents himself for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus crushes the serpent's head uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And then we're told, I'll read it to you later today in Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 2, all over the scripture, that we are more than conquerors through Jesus who won the victory for us, defeating sin, death. My goodness, my friends, if we were... Uh, if we were a Pentecostal church, we'd be standing on the pews right now and just shouting hallelujah. It's just something. So here's your big idea. You can see it on page one. We don't fight for victory. That's the humanism, David sermons, you may have heard for, for a lot of times. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We fight from victory. But we fight nonetheless. And I want you to know this. Everyone, let me have your faces. Some battles are worth fighting for. They're so worth fighting for. And you of all people of Peninsula Covenant Church know that you have fought valiantly and the fight continues. So in case you're thinking, I'm good, let me ask you this question. What Goliath are you facing? What is it that's opposing you that's bigger than you? Now, in case you do say, I'm good, I got no Goliath in my life. Uh, let me jog your memory a little bit. Maybe it's a character issue. Maybe you look in the mirror or you open your Bibles or you come Sunday after Sunday and there's a character issue in your life that you just can't get over. Maybe it's a, re a relationship. Maybe the Goliath is your kids or your grandkids. And seemingly not walking with the Lord or really not walking with the Lord, not choosing values that you wish they would choose. Maybe it's grief. And you're grieving over some loss, health, or a relationship, or a real person. Maybe it's your finances. And there's way more month than the resources in your bank account. Maybe it's anxiety, aging. Maybe it's all of that. We all have Goliath in our life. And my question is, what difference does fighting from victory as opposed to for victory make? We're going to explore that today. And because we don't have two hours, I've just condensed it, and let's do that. Let's, uh, you know, so Sunday nights, I have a ritual at the end of the night, usually at 10 o'clock, I'll turn on ESPN Sports Center, and they recap the full day. The full day of NFL is recapped, and I want to give you, like, the Sports Center recap of this David and Goliath, okay? Are we ready? Come on. Larry Noonan, are you ready? 
Okay, good. Everyone's ready. Here we go. First quarter. Here we go. Saul's benched. 1 Samuel 17, 1 to 11. Take these notes home. Read it for yourself in your Bible. I'm giving you the overview. We come to the scene, the Valley of Elah. It's not a narrow ravine. Uh, it's more like a vast canyon, probably a mile wide. And here's where Google helps us, okay? Some of us, about 125, 130 of us, have been there before. Uh, but let's look at this. Look at these scenes. This is, uh, this is Israel. You can see the Dead Sea, the desert. It's like the coast, uh, the California coast, the mid-California coast. You have the coastal range, which the Philistines occupied. You have the mountain range, which the Israelites occupied. Over the mountains is the desert and the Dead Sea, okay? Where the coastal range and the hill range meet, there's, let's go to the next slide, uh, there's a valley called the Valley of Elah, the Valley of Elah. And then in there, let's go to the next slide, please. Both armies encamped, we're going closer, on both sides. And interestingly, archaeologically, they are digging up these fortresses even as we speak. About 10 years ago, they actually found a Philistine fortress. Uh, then they found an Israelite fortress. Um, some of us have been in that valley where our guide showed us. That's where the Philistines were. That's where the Israelites were. It's amazing how the science of archaeology is backing up this story in real time. Okay, so they are on different sides. And then here's where it would look like from, uh, from the perspective of the fighters. You have the valley in between, the Israelite fortress, and then the Israelite fortress uh, on the other side. Okay, so don't think canyon. Think of just a, a wide valley here. And then we see Saul, the failed king who is supposed to go before Israel and lead his people into battle. That's what a king does. But he's sitting on a hill overlooking the valley. Look at verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of Israelites were dismayed. Literally, the word means they were shattered. They were dashed into pieces. They were literally disheartened. Their heart was ripped out of them. Some of you understand, most of us at this age understand periods like this. Our enemy taunts us, whatever that enemy is, and all of our hope goes out of us. He has every right to be terrified because the Philistine champion, Goliath is almost nine feet tall. You read about that in the reading this week, but it isn't just his size that's intimidating. He's wearing snake armor, armor, but it's designed like snake armor, 150 pounds heavy. And Israel had no armor. We read of Saul's armor only because he stole it, but the Israelite army had no armor at this stage. This is intimidating. All the odds are stacked against Israel. And it was endless. Look at verse 16. For 40 days, morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. I've been there before. Where my Goliath wakes up with me every morning. Oh, it wasn't a dream. This lament is real. Through the sleepless nights, God, where are you? God, why doesn't this change? Throughout my interactions with people, I carry the social interaction and the uh, intellectual interaction I need, but beneath that is a river of lament that taunts me every day. Have you ever had seasons like that? This is what our Goliaths do. So the 40 days and 40 nights, finally, they came to a place called uh, Champion Warfare. This was documented in the ancient culture where armies wouldn't fight each other after a time. It would just go man to man. 
a battle of champions. The Philistines put their champion, Israel puts their champion, whoever wins, wins. Let's save all the bloodshed and let's just have one army experience bloodshed. Verse eight, choose a man, have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Not army against army, champion against champion. Here's the application from the first quarter. Facing giants can be intimidating. I am committed at PCC to keep it real. And we are not at a place where we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good, or we don't feel like, you know, oh, it's just a great world out there and you're gonna get through it and this is so easy, just come to church and here's three happy steps to a great life. It's not how we exist here. The battle is real, my friends. These giants are real. They are intimidating. There's a reason for 40 days and 40 nights, no one stepped forward. And you can have three approaches to facing your giants. I, I, I think this will bring value to you. Page three on your notes. Look at this. This. You can go against your giants with a Goliath approach. Uh, and I have it on the screen here. Goliath approach says, oh, they're weak. I'm strong. It's ego-centered courage. I have more power. That's basic humanism. Okay? Or you can go with the Saul approach. Oh no, and this is how many of us live. They're strong. I'm weak. It's still an ego-centered, but it's not courage, it's cowardice. I have insufficient power. Where this sermon's gonna land is the David approach. I'm weak. God is strong. It's God-centered courage. It's not about us, my friends. I have God's power within me. Your giants are intimidating. My question for you as we start is this, how will you approach them? How will you approach them? Quarter two, the rookie goes in. Here comes David, the real giant. Now listen, David didn't show up for a battle. He was the DoorDash guy, right? Presenting the meal to his brothers. That's his role. It was just, and I wrote you about this last week in my weekly email. Just an ordinary day, a mundane day of faithful living for David. But it was in that mundane faithfulness that God tapped him. Uh, verse 20, he comes and he hears and sees the battle lines. He sees shouts, he hears battle cries, and he hears Goliath taunting God. Look at verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled in great fear. Remember that image of the battle hills? They each would approach in the morning. They would see Goliath. It's almost comical. And the Israel would turn around and run away. David comes up as a DoorDash guy to give his meal, and he sees this whole thing going on. Now listen to this. The key is the perspective of Israel as opposed to the perspective of David. I think this will bring great value. Look, Israel's perspective, verse 25. This is most of our perspectives innately. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? Literally in the Hebrew, keeps coming up. In other words, Goliath kept getting closer and closer and closer. It started on his hill, he went into the valley, after 40, and during 40 days and 40 nights, he just moved closer and closer. And they're like, he's coming up into our camp. Do you see this? That was Israel's perspective. That's many of our perspectives. With whatever is Goliath, it just keeps coming at us. And we say, my goodness, do we see this? Look at David's perspective. Verse 26. 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you see the difference there? The men of Israel look at Goliath and ask, have you seen him? David looks at Goliath and asks, have you heard him? He's defying my God. And who's going to stand up for God? Oh, my friends, I think we need people today who, even though we're outnumbered, outsized, and I feel like this with PCC, we play above our weight class in so many different areas. Um, You know, I mean, it's crazy that we would be on the streets four nights a week feeding people, thinking that's making a difference. But what we say is like, our God can make a difference. We believe that. And I can go on and on and on. But we get in the game. We fight for a cause that's close to the heart of God. And we believe that God himself is fighting with us and through us. That was the mindset of David. Am I making sense? Let me just reiterate. Israel looked and said, do you see him? Their perspective was on the giant. David looked at the giant and said, don't you hear him? He's defying everything God stands for. Who's going to stand up for God? Who's going to fight for character? The character of God here. It's his reputation. Actually, if you look deep in the text, Peter read it. He actually was concerned of the global knowledge of God. It was the great commission that motivated David. He said, then the whole world will know. You're going to see a story during the offering of how PCC's had a part in an unreached people discovering that there is a God who loves them. The application, facing giants can be lonely. Facing giants can be lonely. I didn't say you're alone, but it can be lonely. David was the only one on that hill going, why isn't anyone going in? Everyone else is cowering in fear, and David's the only one. See, your Goliath, my friends, is your Goliath. What kept me up last night wrestling in prayer, that's my Goliath. And it's lonely, but I'm not alone. My Goliaths are the things that break my heart from the Spirit of God, where God calls me to engage in, and I'm not alone in that. It can be lonely when you feel like you're the only one battling for your character, for financial peace, for your integrity, for your legacy, for your health, for your perspective. But you're not alone. You'll see that at the end of this message. Third quarter, a wardrobe malfunction. A wardrobe malfunction. David's courage, let's look at that first. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Here's how I see it going down. David's blinking and he's thinking, what giant? The only giant in my life is God. This dwarf Goliath, that that this dwarf Goliath is defying. God is bigger and if he's on my side, God's not going to lose this battle. That's what I see David in his youthful purity and sincerity of devotion to Christ doing. Uh, look, I, I'm, you know, at this stage of my life, I know giants are big from our perspective. I am not belittling your Goliaths. But have you ever put your Goliaths in the context of the death-defying, all-powerful, authoritative center of the universe? Jesus. Have you ever put your Goliath in the perspective and context of the one with whom right now all creation is worshiping, who spoke it into existence, and one day history will end and culminate at his throne. Every knee will bow, 
Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Have you ever placed your giant in the context of that? That's what David is doing. In the nights when I have dark, deep nights and dark nights, wrestling nights, what I fight for in the dark is to place my Goliath in that perspective. And I've got to tell you, there's peace. There's a, there's a hope that rises up. So Saul, did, you, you did that so well, Peter. Saul tries to outfit him in his own armor, but David has to fight his battle his way. One of the video divas that will come to you on Wednesday or Thursday will bring this out. And he picks up five stones. Why five stones? Uh, we will learn later, and if you want to note it, 2 Samuel 16, Goliath had four brothers. You know, actually, National Geographic did a whole study on this, and you can Google it. I have uh, uh, May 24, 2017, where they actually looked at this story and the power of a rock coming off a slingshot. And here's, what they, here's a quote from it. The ancient slingshot was as deadly as a 44 magnum gun. That rock whizzed. Essentially, it was Goliath who brought a spear to a gunfight. He didn't have a chance. David's confidence was the Lord. He says, the Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, and the, he'll rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. In other words, from David's perspective, it was, I'm sorry, it was all about God. Interesting. I know I'm putting a lot at you. But you read this story in 1 Samuel 17, the only one to mention God in the story, David. Israel didn't. Saul didn't. David's the only one to have the word of the Lord come off his lips. I wonder when you face your giants, how often God comes off your lips, off my lips. When we put things in perspective and remember that God, that God is bigger than this. The application from here, facing giants, demands perspective. Demands perspective. And my friends, when you fight, this will be the battle you fight for. To place your Goliath in the perspective of God. Then, fourth quarter, David gets ahead. David gets ahead. What's so funny is after 40 days of stalling, this really just comes down to a few minutes it's worth a battle. For 40 days, they're cowering in fear, and in a few minutes, it's done. Verse 48, the Philistine moved closer to attack David. I love this. David ran quickly to the battle line. Oh, that we would believe in prayer. That's where the armies of the living God, and that's where Jesus goes, right to our battle line. He doesn't stall. He's perfectly timed. We don't always get the outcomes we would prefer, but we got to believe Jesus is running there to meet him. And we know how the story ends. Verse 51, Goliath is still there, but he's no longer nine feet tall. He's nine feet long. The Israeli army is inspired and benefits from David's victory. Look at verse 52. The men of Israel and Judah, look, I love this, surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Here's my question. When did they shout? When did they charge? 
after David killed the giant. This is what happens. Our victories are contagious. They have a ripple effect. Doesn't that happen with you? This week, I heard of stories of answered prayer. You're going to see one of the stories at our offering time, something that we prayed about five years ago and the answer to that. I want you to know it, 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 it put a surge of faith through me, hearing of answered prayer. It matters. It really matters. Uh, my friends, where I want to land this is this. David was a forerunner. Uh, David wasn't just an example. He was a forerunner for Israel, right? He went ahead of them and Israel followed behind him. But he was uh, a forerunner and a type of the ultimate Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who faced the ultimate battle, death and evil, and rose from the dead so that we could be more than conquerors. Here's the verse, Romans chapter 8. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, I know most of us believe that. But what I want to encourage us, if we believe that, let's live that. Let's live as conquerors. So the application of quarter four, slaying giants is contagious. David's victory had a ripple effect on his communities, and so will yours. So do yours. Your victories encourage and have encouraged this church for so long. So where are we going? Application. Act on what you believe. Saul and his, his army of Israel, the army of Israel, stood on a hill and cowered for 40 days, saying they believe in the living God. They believe in the power of God, but they didn't act on it. Put your pebble into play. Put your faith into play. Some victories are worth fighting for. And when it comes to your character, when it comes to the character of Christ, when it comes to your legacy, when it comes to the city and the kingdom moving into the city, these are battles that are worth fighting for. And Jesus fights before us. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. That's why there's an empty cross and an empty grave because Jesus has given us the victory. And we gather every Sunday to rehearse that victory and remember that victory. So as we go into the rest of our gathering, what we're going to give you a chance to do is commune with that victorious warrior God, Jesus. We'll have communion. We'll remember the body and blood that Jesus gave so that we could have victory. And then Peter will tell you all about this, but we put extra rocks in the back walls. And we're going to invite you to go from communion to the back wall or start at the back wall and then come to communion and take a rock with you this week. And there's Sharpies back there. What I did in my rock is I wrote uh, 1 Samuel 17, 47, which says this, uh, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And just keep it with you to remind you, I don't fight alone. This battle's worth fighting. I don't fight alone. Peter will explain all of that. But where we go from here is to continue to worship this, this conquering warrior Jesus who fought on our behalf so that we can fight from his victory. We'll commune, we'll get some rocks, and then we'll leave to go back into the battle.
maybe fighting it alone, but we won't be lonely because Jesus is with us. I'm sorry, we might be lonely, but we won't be alone because Jesus is with us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. We lay our battles before you, not because you're not aware of them. Maybe we haven't positioned ourselves before you as we should. Forgive us, Lord, for saying one thing, believing one thing, singing one thing, but acting completely differently. It's the human condition, and I thank you that there's grace for all of us. Lord, in these remaining minutes as we commune with you, as we go back to the wall and think of the battle and renew our mind and take a rock as a reminder, would you meet us there? Would you fill us with hope afresh and anew? Take over our lives, Lord. Use us so that in the words of David, the whole world would know that you are God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.